coming at you all the way from Mount Julia, Tennessee. I'm John. This is Johnny. Hey. And we're here for another episode, another information-filled, fun-filled, life-filled episode. Learning, Let's talk about that. Learning can be fun, John. Mm, here's hoping. And there will be none of that. No. I did have a I did have a listener tell me that our last episode we didn't we didn't teach him a lot, you know. That stinks. I was like, well, we were catching up, you know. We were they were they didn't feel enriched. We didn't meet their expectations, and that's I a bummer, know, man. I don't know. Yeah, we uh, I had a couple of people comment, you know, because they we answered their question, we we read their question over the air or whatever. Right, right. Um, the cartoonist, yes, which he reminded me that. It was the op- the Opus cartoon was Bloom County, which I remembered right at- on the way home. Bloom County was the name of that yeah. comic strip, oh. and he was like, "I think his his response was like, yeah, I figured." He goes, "I don't know why I thought you didn't have Wikipedia." <laughs> he goes, "I he goes, it made me think though. Are we is the next generation going to have no use for trivia at all?" Right. Which I think a couple of comedians have touched on that before about the idea of like, like Pete Holmes had a bit about that about. How you would be standing in a room uh, and you'd think to yourself, like, where is, you'd be listening to Tom Petty and be like, where is Tom Petty from? And then somebody would be like, I don't know. And then you just wouldn't know where Tom (laughs) Petty was from. And you would just know, you would just feel that pain of not knowing. Right. And then one day, like five years later, you, that same song would come on and you'd be standing in line at a checkout and they'd be like, Tom Petty. And then the girl in front of you would be like, yeah, he's from Gainesville. It's my hometown. And she'd be like, well, he'd be like, what? And that's how you met your wife. <laughs> and now none of that will happen. Right. Because we just look it up. It's, wow. in our, it's in our phone. But anyway, he was kind of like lamenting that the death of trivia, in essence. Yeah. Well, we certainly do trivial things still. Well, and somebody posted, too. A friend of mine posted yesterday, I hate when I'm in a situation, when I'm at a dinner around new people. And the first three topics that come up are topics that I know a lot about. Yeah. And so I only know I only know a lot about three things anyway. But they happen to mention those topics, and now I look like a big know-it-all Yeah, without meaning to. I think that I come off that way sometimes. Johnny, you know about a lot more than three things, though. You, no, no, no. What I'm kinda, saying, yeah. Like, it doesn't fit for you because you're, you're a vast well of useless knowledge. Like, yeah. the man... Listeners, I wish you could know. We talked about it before, but you really can't understand. You can't fathom the depth of what information is flowing through Johnny W's mind. Yeah, it's uh, it's dumb though. It's not it's not of any use to me anymore, especially the pop culture stuff because I don't know any new bands or any new. I'm definitely Do you not that, know. I always I'm that old like, guy now that doesn't keep up with you see, know I post, assume, post Malone. Yeah. I thought Post Malone was you know who knows what I thought Post Malone was. <laughs> like a basketball player delivers the mail. Yeah, I don't know, something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's weird. And then so yeah, you just you look like this old man shouting at the clouds now. If you like, somebody said that the other day. Like you know, you're old if you only know the the people in on the top line of the Coachella poster. Like you only know the three bands. Like I know Kanye. I know this guy, I know this guy. All the smaller font bands, you're like, no, you could be making up words. You're just throwing things together. I'd I'd be thrown by it. See, I assume that wasn't an age thing. I assume that was a, for me, it it seems like I don't know things because my kid knows them or knows about them. Okay. So I assumed you were just like tracking right with pop culture. I don't have time for that anymore now. No, I'm not. I mean, I watch the dumb shows and I binge watch things and uh, stupid shows, but... Yeah, as far as music, I think you get to an age where you're like, I'm done. I'm done 
learning about the hot new band, I guess. Yeah. And I'm good. And that's why classic rock is so big because it's like people just stop looking for new music. Like, well, I think they're searching for nostalgia within the music to some extent. Yeah, it and, connects. Yeah. Yeah, there was this comedy special I saw last night, and uh, there's a guy named Roy Wood Jr., and he's brilliant. And he is, He's a, a black comic, and he was talking a lot about race and race relations. And and he got to a point where he was talking about how we uh, – it was the Me Too thing and the Me Too movement. And he said the best thing these guys could do – he goes, if you want to learn how to not to give an apology, follow this Me Too movement. He goes, they'll use the word recollect a lot. He goes, if if somebody says the word recollect, some bad stuff happened. <laughs> I don't re- your recollection does not match my recollection. He goes, if you said that in a regular argument, you've lost the argument. You don't right. use recollect unless you're hiding. But then he was talking about how the best thing you can do to get out of one of these things is to put out a, an R&B album. Because it seems like we forgive. Isn't that crazy? We forgive our musical heroes yeah. because they're connected to our memories. Wow. And so it's like you're attacking – it was a really interesting point that he was making in, all the while using comedy to do it. But it's true. Like R. Kelly got away with it so long because he wrote I Believe I Can Fly. Yeah. And, and we'll that's a weird sing... That's a weird thing to admit to our culture, but it's true. Right. Yeah. I think that used to be true some to some extent in politics. Yeah. Because the presidency in particular was, was such a, a revered office. Yeah. And there was such a respect. People thought of the president like their grandfather – and and but but a little more, yeah. <clears throat> like the office of president was a big deal, and I think somewhere, you know, in the '90s when I think obviously the Clinton scandal brought. <clears throat> I'm so sorry, man. I know it's just how I've lived. Fleming, the Clinton scandal brought so much like embarrassment because of uh, you know. Well, Nixon was the first one that really chipped correct. away. He chipped yeah. away at it, and then obviously Vietnam and with with Johnson, people began to lose trust in it, but. The personal life. So yeah. I mean, Nixon at least was lying about something political. He was caught in political issues. When a president got caught lying about personal issues mm-hmm. and they all came to light because modern media had that accessible – you had that accessibility now through modern media. I think it began to take down a notch. You know, yeah. that, that feeling of I forgive you because what you do is important or I forgive you because what you – like you said, forget. I forget about this because what you do – is a big deal or I gain from it. But you're right. We do it most with entertainment because it connects to us somewhere outside of those other places. Yeah, you want to believe that that person on the other side of the screen is a good dude. It's important to us. And so we'll even invent, uh, you know, positive attributes for them. Well, you don't – He, but he does so much. You don't know what he's really like. And right. you kind of try to imagine that they're a good person and – uh, yeah, it's really tough, but yeah, it's mostly, yeah, uh, there was used to be a, a Seinfeld bit about when you get in a taxi cab in New York city and there's that glass because it's like, you're watching it on TV. He's making these dangerous moves, but you're like, well, I'm sure the man knows what he's doing. <laughs> I think that's what we feel about politics right. is like for a long time, we just thought, well, yeah, but they're the smartest people. They're not going to screw up the country, right? And then you get to a certain age, you're like, they're going to screw this up, right? Yeah, yeah. There <laughs> is a, there is a. Well, up. they know what they're. Yeah, you're exactly right. Surely the person flying the plane knows how to fly a plane. Right? Yeah, that's. A, yeah. yeah, there used to be a, a Chris Rock bit about that about how uh, everything comes back to a comedy bit with me. But it, I just think that's that's they're the prophets in our culture now. Really, I really do believe that. Because they're the speaking, they're the only ones left to kind of strict speaking truth to power. You even have uh, preachers who are bowing down. 
yeah. you know, and they, they, they're, they've chosen sides and they'll protect their side. Whereas a comedian will just be like, this is the truth. Right. And they'll say they're whatever the, this thing and they'll chip away at it. So I think that's interesting. But, uh, yeah, Chris Rock said that, uh, I can't remember what I was going to say now. Chris Rock had a bit about, what were we talking about? Uh, the airplanes. Really oh got, yeah. He so. said you, when we talk about good cops and bad cops, well, it's not all cops. There's just a couple of bad apples. He's like, there's certain jobs where we can't have any bad apples. Yeah. Like, like a, if you go, well, look, it's not all pilots. There's only a couple that crash in the mountains. Right. Like, wouldn't you want to know Wouldn't you want to get those pilots out? And so right. he's like, we can't deal with any bad apples at some jobs. Right. Some things, some things we have to demand a higher standard for. Yeah. You know, speaking of entertainment industry, I would be interested to know your thoughts. Now, I will just confess a couple things. Mm. The Super Bowl was so bad. It was really a boring I, game. I was so uninterested already. Like 15 punts or something? I was already uninterested. Because, and again, and, and I hate to just be another hater on the train against the yeah. Patriots. You know, but I'm kind of turning. Uh, you think? Well, I think that he's the greatest quarterback that ever played the game. There's no. Well, doubt it's not in just mind. that. You know, I was talking to my buddy Nate. I was at Nate uh, Bergazzi's house, and we were talking about it. Name dropping. Let me pick up this name I dropped. Hmm. Uh, but he uh, he was talking about it, and he said, "When you look at it, though, the Rams bought their team. They they went out and got all these players, like Jared Goff. They drafted." But they went and bought all these defensive players they got. They brought in Indominus Sue and they brought in Aaron Donald. They brought in all these guys to build a super team, and they made the Super Bowl. Whereas literally the Patriots have not drafted high because they've been good for 15 years. They've not drafted in the first round very high in over a decade. They get these third and fourth rounders, fifth rounder, sixth rounder. Tom Brady's a sixth rounder. Edelman's a seventh rounder. And they put them in their system, and they make them great. How is that not celebrated more? And I started thinking, he's right. Yeah, That's something, if it was anywhere else, you'd be like, yeah. But we're just kind of like, we don't like dynasties maybe, or we want to believe our team can turn the corner, and you're like, no, you're going to be <laughs> playing the Patriots. You're going to have to go through them. Right. Uh, no, it, <clears throat> it's true. There, there's it, It's pure fandom that causes Yeah, it's me. like, what should we celebrate versus what we do celebrate? <laughs> we say we, we don't, we're just, you know. We or we we say, well, we did they cheat or whatever? But I mean, I'm talking about that that even if you believe Deflate Gate was a thing, that was five years ago, right? They've been to four Super Bowls since then. Or you three see, Super you know, Bowls when I started then. hearing that they were that they were tapping into the opposing team's uh, headsets, right? That's how they knew the plays that were coming. That they had been doing that forever. Yeah, that's what got me. That's a little paranoid, though. That's not true. How do you know it's not true? Because they would have proven it. Well, didn't they? You prove can't. It? But you can just say anything. And people believe. I mean, people want to believe that Saban's paying players or whatever. That's how Alabama keeps winning his recruiting battles. But he's never been caught. Saban's. You can't just say stuff. Here's the, here's the difference. Here, actually, I when can't, you hate Alabama, you can't can just be like, "Well, it must be true because they're so much better than us." It's like, what if people say that about the Vols? We've been number one for three weeks. How did they get this team? Yeah. How did they do this? There must be pain. I, I actually feel differently about Alabama. The, I don't have any conspiracy theories about Alabama besides the obvious one of him selling his soul to Satan. But right. <clears throat> I don't think that that actually happened. I actually think that somehow Saban is a really good coach and that it's just really simple. In fact, it's not even, there's no mystery to it. Yeah. Every year, all the best players in the nation come to Alabama, and they've been doing that now for eight, nine years. Like college, there's just a lot more disparity between the first string and the third string. Pros – though that's what i'm getting at like in the nfl there just can't be that much of a disparity between 
what they're doing in Boston and, and all the other pro teams, these are all elite upper-level athletes. Like one out of a thousand makes it through college into what they're doing. Right. And yet— What if Belichick's <clears throat> that good, though? But he can say, I'll, I'll take you a fifth-round player. I'm going to make you my guy. I think I know what I think I know what makes them great, by the way. I think Tom Brady is an incredible quarterback. But every time I do have to watch the Patriots, the one thing I notice every play is that he has all day to throw the ball. Yeah. The offensive line, is it, that's it. And that's that's all of football for the most part. The offensive line either open it opens a lane for yeah. the running back or it gives you time to throw the ball. And I mean, I was watching that game, and he, they're playing against an elite defense. He had five seconds anytime he wanted it. Yeah. And so, yes, he's really good, and he has to make that pass. But there are a lot of quarterbacks have had five seconds every play. They probably could make similar passes. I do think that then someone has to coach up those linemen. I do think they get the most Telling out you, they, of their players, There's, and they don't tolerate. Nonsense. No, I They'll like just, it. Yeah, I, they get, I if you start demanding too much money, they get rid of those. Be like, well, just find another no-name guy, and we'll just develop. Literally, them. they don't get stars. The only time they ever had a star uh, receiver was when they got Randy Moss. That was the year they lost the Super Bowl. Yeah, they went. They won eighteen and zero or whatever, and then lost the Super Bowl. But they didn't win a Super Bowl with Randy Moss. Yeah, that's crazy to think about. Yeah. I just wish it was happening in Nashville. That's all. I, I agree, wish. I, I, and it's going to be a while. It's going to be a minute. Before we dash forward the Titans, here's what I want, and then we can move on because football. Yeah, sorry, guys. people are driving we'll, into we'll, guardrails. We'll get out. We'll get out of this in a second. I want them to trade Mariota straight up for Foles. I want Nick Foles. Really? Yeah, it's not going to happen, but because we have to pay him twenty five million. Or Mariota just needs to be healthy one year. I think if we had Foles, you'd see my way. <sighs> Don't at me, Titans fans. You know what I'm saying. This is the same Titans fans who got mad when Jeff Fisher left. How could he leave? What yeah. are we going to do without Jeff Fisher? He won half his games and lost half his games. That's what Mariota is. He's very average. I don't know. He threw 11 touchdowns, John. He's 11. injured. Do you know what? No. Are you bl- are you do blaming you know, his he's the, never, the he's nerves never, in his arm? What's the most he's ever thrown? Look it up. He had a great couple of years. No. He had an okay couple of years. You know what, Johnny? Patrick Mahomes threw fifty, John. I would like that's what a quarterback of the new generation I would like does. to say to everyone listening to this that I'm not on board for what Johnny is saying. I'm not saying Ariel's a bad guy. Why I want to hang out with him. Please, Marcus, come to my house. Super Bowl. Uh-huh. I want to know your thoughts of the halftime show, which I did not watch. Listen, it's not because I'm old or anything. The, the, it was just so boring to me at that point. You know, I was literally watching knocked, West Wing reruns yeah, on Netflix. He got knocked a lot about it. <clears throat> of course, you can't win on social media. Uh, people freak out. I think Maroon Five are like super talented. I think he's got a great. Yeah, and, and that's the thing is, I think what happens is you get to a certain level where you have so many songs in the public consciousness. Yeah, like you can't turn on radio. Every third song is a song either Adam Levine is singing on yeah. uh, with a rapper or it's a Maroon 5 song or it's an Adam Levine original song. It's crazy. So it's like he's so big now that it's irritating. He's Bill Belichick. Yeah. And so I think that's part of what people are like, oh, there's these people. The other thing that was going into it was Atlanta. They figured, well, we'll pick a bunch of Atlanta artists, you know, to showcase, which is a huge – it's a huge – uh, hip-hop community there. So yeah. obviously that's going to... And so they brought in Big Boy or whatever from... Uh, Shoney's. No. 
<laughs> Not that big boy. It's a different big boy. Big I'm thinking boy. of Outcast from Outcast, you know. Yeah. But anyway, so they uh, – I'm speaking about this very unintelligently, and I apologize. But to me, I think that's what part of it was. You know, you had the people who had turned it down like Rihanna because of the protests. Yeah. She was you know, standing in uh, with Kaepernick. So you had some uh, bike artists who said, no, I'm not going to do it. And then Maroon 5 is like third on the list. So they say, of course, because it's, a, it's an incredible opportunity to be seen by millions and millions of people yeah. all at once. I'm, I imagine your album sales spike through the roof when you do a show like that. Yeah. Mine do. Yeah. I, my, mine did <laughs> I during the Maroon 5 performance. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Oddly enough. But anyway, all that said, going into it, I think people were ready to hate them already. Yeah. But I did think it was a little flat. Uh, performance-wise, it wasn't great to me. Like, they did a couple of slow numbers, which is an odd decision. Yeah. Uh, like, they did that She Will Be Loved song. I thought, well, that's really weird. You got this huge... But they just decided, let's take it down a notch. We've only got eight minutes. Let's, let's come down here for a minute. Let me get yeah. on one knee and sing to you in the front row. It's like, that's not really the kind of place where you do that kind of performance. And the only thing I really heard the most about, obviously, is he took his shirt off. Yeah. And he had a tattoo, California... Right, right. Uh, which John Acuff posted. That's like right. that's the only state you put ta- a tattoo of. You know, you don't put <laughs> North Dakota on your stomach. That's true. Uh, yeah, that was so. The two things that made headlines tw- on Twitter were he he stripped each, so he had a jacket on. He took the jacket off, and he's wearing like a tank top that looks like your Target drapes. So people kept holding up their Target throw pillow and their Target drapes <laughs> that had that same pattern on them. Nice. They're like, why is Adam Levine wearing my curtains or whatever? So that went viral. And then the other thing was he kept de-robe, disrobing. And then like then was the whole thing of like the, the – it became a conversation of like, it's okay for him but not Janet Jackson to show your nipple. It's like, all right, well, look, I didn't make the rules, but yes, it's not okay. <laughs> it's more okay for Adam Lambert. Or Adam Lambert, Adam Levine. <laughs> oh, that would have been weird. Jeez. It is interesting, like, the total – and I know men do it too, and so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just saying it. it's just an observation. I'm not, yeah. here, I'm not here to make indictments, Johnny. I'm just, right. I'm just observing that – Are you allowed to make, <clears throat> make indictments? That – Johnny, I spent a long time <laughs> in law school. Um, that there's just a lot of women, like, just married women online just, yeah. like – Really talking a lot about Adam Levine. Yeah. You know, and I would be really uncomfortable as a married man going online if there would have been the equivalent female artist who showed some skin. Yeah. And going like, oh, my gosh, guys, man, I could listen to her all day, you know, or whatever, like making all these kind of innuendo based. Yeah, it's like it's like the pendulum swung the other way so much. That women get to be crude and 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 treat men as objects, and it's not gross. It's like no, it's still pretty gross. Well, I mean, and let me just state, like, absolutely, women have been mistreated for so long. Like, I I, yeah. I agree that they need to st- we need to stop objectifying women. That's a good thing. I'm in support of. I hope that's being heard here clearly. And I appreciate your vote in November. I'm just pointing out that swinging, you know, to the other side of that right. spectrum doesn't make the other side it doesn't like make right. it doesn't negate right like the whole magic mic thing where all the women were going like right. with their girlfriends to watch the movie about the stripper and could you like, imagine if me and you got all the guy friends together in our yeah. life because i'm not talking about look i get that people are gonna do that i'm saying like let's just speak from a christian context i'm talking like there were women right people from churches together mm-hmm. going to watch magic mike 
if we got together to go watch strip tease, me and you and Pastor and a couple other guys from the small group, and we post all over social media and had T-shirts made, like, yeah, I think that we would, you know, there would. It, it just, it just seems the to be. Yeah, I will say the T-shirts were a bad idea. I apologize. <laughs> uh, that's not a. So if you had to take your shirt off yeah. at a show and have something tattooed across your stomach, yeah, what would it be? Well, there was somebody that posted a photo side by side of it. Did you see it? And he had <laughs> Illinois like written with a magic marker on his gut. Yeah. It was so funny. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, I want to say that I did a show one time with a DJ uh, at a, a Christian festival, and he had these shirts, and it was like a... It was like a big burly bear, like a teddy bear with like a – he was ripped and had chains. And he had like shaved into his front fur like a – remember the Tupac said thug life on his yeah. – it said hug life? And I thought that was kind of funny. Uh, but, yeah, that's what – it would be something like do you that. Think tattoos, it would be something ironic. Do you think tat- being tatted up like that mm-hmm. on your chest and abdomen area mm-hmm. – I wonder if it makes you look more muscular than you are. Number one, I want to know, where does Adam Levine have time to work out? Number two. Yeah. Like, when can he find that sort of time? Number two, like, if we were to go get a lot of tattoos, could we take our shirts off with less embarrassment? I've seen a lot of fat guys with tattoos. So you don't think. But I'm talking, like, major, like, ink up the area. Like, we're going to really cover a lot of square footage here with, with, with ink. I don't well, know. That, I, I kind of think we should think. We well, that's what look they do. In the, well, it makes you darker, I guess. So that shows more shadows and contours. I've always heard that too. Like when you do the, you see those before and after weight loss right. photos. The, what, the, the after, they're always tan. Yeah, makes a big difference. Uh, and they're shaved. Uh, the chest is shaved because it makes it, you know, whatever. Yeah. And um, so they're always like orange. Yeah. They're a dark, deep orange. And they maybe yeah, and put like some work, some oil or something. Like there's some, there's a sheen. Johnny, I'm saying, I'm telling you. So you're I saying, think, do you think President Trump looks jacked? If we, because <laughs> he's kind of got a, he's got a glow to him. <laughs> if we took the money, I don't spend any money on uh, on health clubs, but I think that you have a membership. I do. It's if, my fat tax. If we took all the money that we would ever spend on exercise programs and memberships and spent them on tattoos, tattoos, I think that we could be onto something here. Like, what if I got a tattoo of a six pack? <sighs> like you'd never know, and then I could. Yeah. I mean, you might know. <laughs> he had, I mean, he was, that's, I think that's the first time people had seen him without a shirt in a while. Yeah. And so, yeah, when he turned around, he had a huge back piece, like a full back tattoo. Yeah. At one point, I was like, man, this is a lot of work. A back to. A back to. But, I'm, you know, here's the thing I wonder, like, if you knew you booked the Super Bowl. Right. Now, number one, who came up with the idea? Who said, you know, Adam, and then what's going to happen is. Like, is that his idea? To stage the different disrobing? Right. We're like, if he, they had had, like, two more songs, would he just be in, a bo- in his boxers? Like, do we not? <laughs> he sort of kept going. <laughs> he just keeps going. <laughs> Somebody's out there. Anyway, uh, I can't say that. <laughs> um, so, but my question is, uh, could you imagine if today, let's just yeah. pretend our band got back together, and we got the call, the Super right. Bowl just ended, and now they said, now look, John and Johnny, yeah, you're next, next year, you're going to play the Where is the Super Bowl next year? You probably already know. Uh, I don't know. Okay. It's going to be in Arizona. You, okay. And we're going to want you to take your shirts off at the end. Right. Could you imagine what this year would look like for us? I, there'd, be, <laughs> there'd be nothing else for me except for be, getting ready for that moment. I mean, I, I, I would love to think of a, I would love to think that guy already had the confidence. Like, you, you know, know what? what? I sure, still, I'll do it. I still would probably put it off till a month before. <laughs> I'd be like, well, I can get 
I can get pretty ripped. <laughs> it's like in thirty days. I'm doing a cleanse, everybody. The Super Bowl is next <laughs> yeah, month. Can you imagine? Just oh, it'd be, be it'd be mortifying. Yeah, I'd be going to a sauna every day. Yes, I'd be going to a surgeon. That's what I'd. Be yeah, doing. that's what you do. Just have <laughs> just be, Well, that gives me time. I have to recover from all these surgeries in order to make this work. So, Johnny, yeah. it's a good thing. The the number one reason I'm glad that you and I got out of the music industry is because of this. I don't. It was mean, coming. This process is just degrading. This industry will take things from you, John. Ugh. I remember being at multiple events at churches and being feel pressured to take off my shirt Absolutely. and thinking like, "That's not why I got into this." No, I got into this to glorify the Lord. Yeah. And as much as people would say, well, this is your temple, does this not glorify God? And I would say no. No, it doesn't. No to that person. No. Even though I have a huge scripture verse tattooed across my abdomen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I, and even though it's not it's not for others to see, you know. Yeah. It's just me and Jesus, my <laughs> wife, and everybody at the swimming pool. So. <laughs> well, the, the the thing that I made fun of from the halftime show, and I should mention it because it, it kind of it didn't go viral. The closest thing that I could have to going viral, it, it was a post that got a lot of response that I made yesterday was the photo of this choir singing with uh, Maroon 5, yeah. who just appeared out of nowhere. And it was in a song that they do call, I can't remember what it's called. I think it's called Girl Like You. And it's basically, uh, guys like me need a girl like you. When I come through, I need a girl like you. And it's just really like, hey, look, <laughs> we happen to be in Tulsa. I could use a girl like you right now. It's very gross and just hookup culture. Right. Not not you necessarily. Just a girl like you. <laughs> it's very gross. So, which is most pop music, and I get it. And I'm not hating on Maroon 5. Whatever. They can do what they want. But they say they're singing this song, and it's a very popular song, and some people are, like, dancing to it. And then you it like it felt like out of nowhere. There's a camera shot away, and when the camera comes back, there's a full gospel choir in blue robes just shimmying back and forth and singing this chorus about them being total you know just like i don't even know what to call it john (laughs) he's trying so hard not to say words so (laughs) hey i'm coming through your town hey hey. let's sing about this with a gospel choir it was odd and again i'm not whatever that it just felt like an odd juxtaposition to me so i pointed that out and i said hey you know that song we sing about hooking up with a different girl in each town? What if we added a gospel choir to that? Would that be amazing and not in any way inappropriate? And so, but what was funny is people came out of the woodwork. It's like I told you this at breakfast, but I have people on the left and the right. Every possible political ideology, every possible religious affiliation or lack thereof, I have just friends all across the spectrum. And so... I'll have a post sometimes that'll bring people out of the woodwork. And this is one of those. Yeah. Because I think people just thought that I was like, yeah, get him, Johnny. <laughs> and people were like, you can, that's not a gospel choir. You can call yourself a choir. You know, putting a robe on doesn't make you, you know. And so what were they doing up there? I turned it off. What a bunch of garbage. And I was like, well, I didn't mean it was garbage. It just was odd to me. It was an odd choice. Yeah. Uh, and probably inappropriate. But uh, people just took it to me that I was just like slamming. And again, if, if Maroon 5 is listening right now, guys, I think it was an odd choice. And guys, we invite you to come and talk about it. Please, we, come on. We, we, need the, we need the ratings. We, <laughs> we could use you. You could take your shirt off in the studio if that makes so, you feel better. So I posted that. It's my not going to help. So I have, audio a, I have a friend who follows me on Twitter, and, and we're friends. His name's J.B. Strevel. He's out of Memphis, I think. I think he lives in Memphis. 
Anyway, he commented underneath my post, and he put hashtag moves like swaggered. <laughs> oh, that's, that's great. great right? That's pretty clever. Moves like swaggered. I do think that it's funny you say people get on and chime in, like offensiveness. The, the to be offended. There's a so I try to display some scriptures mm-hmm. in my house. Uh, one a month. Last year, I tried. I, I really, I was, I was, I was feeling a little too froggy about this. So I displayed one a week. Like we had a, for four scriptures in the month. And where do you <clears> put them? <throat> I mean, display. I have like these little, these little picture frames I print and put in. And I don't have one out here. John used to have one on my desk, but uh, oh, you I, just like I, slide it in. Yeah, and I slide it in. And oh, that's cool. And so it's just like for February or January. You know, our our verses are. And so like January's verse was. Um, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a glory. It is a glory to overlook an offense, or it is his glory to overlook an offense. Yeah. So a person with good sense is slow to anger, and and they consider it something good to be able to overlook just responding and reacting. You know, and another one that really gets me from Proverbs uh, is um, a brother offended is as unyielding as the bars of a castle, and then the one we have in February right now is. Um, the beginning of strife is like the letting out of water. So abandon the quarrel before it breaks out. Meaning like once once you open up this this dam, it's going to be really hard to close it off. So that like offensiveness that we have towards everything. In fact, my wife and I are um, – we're, we're back watching The West Wing. Yeah. And so we're just in season two. Really, we just longed for the quality dialogue. Like it's so – it's so good. What are you saying, John? So, <laughs> Johnny, <laughs> I need more. So, but in, in in and again, this is a liberal administration, you know, that for all intents and purposes, most of their political viewpoints are going to be different than a lot of my political viewpoints. But what the kind of show does for you, it reminds you that we are so offended that someone has a different viewpoint than us yeah. that we can't engage in dialogue anymore. And they put characters in that show. So like the white house council, associate council, mm-hmm. she's the girl that was on CSI Miami, the, the Southern Texas. Girl. Yeah. The blonde girl. And, um, I forgot her name on the show, but she is a like conservative yeah. pundit. And she goes on the show with Sam Seaborn, who's the white house deputy communications director and he thinks he's just she's her first time on there and she just lights him up with all this stuff yeah and most people would be like and so he can't stand her she embarrassed him everyone's making fun of him because he's normally always you know winning on everything yeah and lo and behold what does the president want to do he wants to hire her and you think about how different that viewpoint would be. Right. Not that this all really happened. I understand it's fictional. Well, there's there's a case to be made that there's a history of like people going against cronyism in politics in the past, though. There, that's Absolutely. happened before. Definitely, this administration is m- more. There's been a lot of like, hey, let's go along and get along, or you're out. And that's yeah. kind of one of the things people have against Trump is that there's been a little bit of that like, close, let's close ranks. Well, sure. Yeah. yeah. It, dissenting viewpoints have become, I think, culturally, not not just at the political yeah. level. But, in fact, we just did a series on Sunday mornings uh, called Fool's Gold where we're really talking about we, – we did four different verses, scenarios from the yeah. book of Proverbs. And because the Proverbs is really – it doesn't call everybody a fool. 
Like if he doesn't just say, hey, you, everyone who does this, all these people are all the time fools. People do this. They're all the time wise. Like it's situational. Yeah. It's saying, look, you might be wise in the way that you handle your finances and in the way that you live in Christian community. But you might be a fool in the way that you speak to your wife and in the way that you live in isolation. Like so, yeah, you, you, you know, there's, there's a room to grow in all of these things. Yeah. I mean think about Solomon himself. How wise he was with so many things, and yet how foolish he was in so many others, and so it's like this invitation to all people uh, to like look instead of being offended that because another word for fool in our translation would be idiot. People don't want to be called fools. In fact, one of my buddies who's a pastor, we're you know I was writing a letter to somebody and I quoted a proverb about somebody's being a fool and someone's being wise, and it was two other pastors, and he said, "Hey, let's be careful. We don't want them to think you're calling them a fool." Because it's offensive, like it was offensive for me to use a scripture verse yeah. that says this behavior is foolish. And the point is, and I think he, he's got a valid point, we've lost the context of that in, yeah. in our English translations in the modern age. But the true context of that is, like, I don't think script, scripture would say that we're all fools. And, and obviously without Christ, we all can do nothing. And so there's like this baseline of, of that. But behaviorally... That Proverbs gives me, you know, this opportunity to understand where wisdom would light in in a multiplicity of scenarios, and so this idea of really what Proverbs calls the fool the most is the person who's the obstinate. It's a word we don't use a lot, mm-hmm. but an obstinate person is someone by its best scriptural definition who is wise in their own eyes, which means they cannot tolerate an opposing yeah. viewpoint, or they don't hear it or they can't tolerate it because they're already convinced somewhere subconsciously, even if they can't articulate their viewpoint, they're convinced that their viewpoint is right. And so it keeps us from being able to to say, oh, that person has a dissenting viewpoint, but they articulate it well. I can listen to what they're saying. It might cause my viewpoint to adjust or even, again, I know it's just West Wing, but I'd like to have them on the team because their their viewpoint is going to be helpful to help us learn what our viewpoint should be. Yeah, Acuff said, uh, John Acuff said that one time. He said, the internet tends to turn people into ideas. That's good. You know, you start looking at people as a list of beliefs. Yeah. Uh, and you can, dem- you can, you can diminish them that way. Yeah. I can boil you down. All right. All right. You believe this? Well, you're done to me. You're a monster, clearly. And we don't, you know, or, well, you're just tone deaf. You don't understand. You can- Instead of like, okay, well, wonder what would cause that person to feel that way. Yeah. I wonder what their life experience is. That special I watched last night, which I really enjoyed, and I didn't align politically with 100% of it, but it was a black comic talking about his black experience. And he said, <laughs> he said, you can't, because people are mad about the protesting and the kneeling or whatever. This was in the heat, in the heart of that. And he said, you can't tell somebody how to complain. That's not American. We're allowed to complain here. Right. He goes, America is like a restaurant that serves equality. And he said, this is such a great analogy. He said, America is like a restaurant that serves equality. And he goes, and some of y'all have had a great experience with your equality. And some of us need to speak to a manager. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, man, that's a really funny analogy. But it's also like really pointed and interesting. Because he's saying, like, everybody's not had the same experience at Denny's that you have had. Well, we, you may have enjoyed your no, hamburger, right. and they may have burned my eggs. And like, and, and I, need, I need the right to at least say, my experience in America is not this, and you can't come down on me for having that opinion. Well, we've come to the place where we are now, we are now 
unable to accept alternate conclusions. Yeah. Or even to, excuse me, accepts the wrong word. Unable to, that's a perfect analogy. Like, what we have to be able to do is say, look, I can at least listen to your experience. Yeah. That's wisdom, scripturally. The, the wise man above all other things, the reason he has teachability is because he has humility and he can hear. Yeah. He can hear another side. Now, we take it as, if I hear, I must have to agree. Right. Or and, you take it as an attack on you or like, if you hear somebody say, well, what about, like, for instance, like now the, the socialism conversation is coming up a lot because you got Bernie thinking about running again and and you have a lot of people that, you know who are in opposition to the president and the way things are going capitalist society so social the socialism conversation comes up every every time and people who grew up with grandpa telling them every day that this is the whatever when the, what's what's what, what's what's honestly if we look at america where there already are a lot of socialism we have a lot of socialist policies right. in place you know, they're taking a ton of our money to build roads and schools that we all use. Well, Social Security is, it's, it, it, is yeah. what there's, it is. There's yeah. socialism. There's, but this idea that, like, it's an all or nothing, it's a zero-sum game, and this is the pathway to destruction. If we even entertain this, that comes from how you're raised. You're raised with Papa telling you this is how they start. Then they come get your guns. and So it's a fear-based thing. So when somebody says, well, here's been my experience with capitalism. You know, blah blah blah. I I was my uh, my opportunity was limited because of this and this and this. And when we decide we can't hear that person because of what Grandpa right. said, it counters my what, ideology. So therefore, it must it, you it, feel threatened. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not saying that, that America needs to go down that path, but I just feel like this idea that like capitalism or an idea that is not it's, it's like this idea that like capitalism is the Bible or the Constitution is the Bible. It can never be whatever. So it's like we got to re we got to reassess these things. We got to relook at these things without it being so deeply entrenched and our ideologies wrapped into them. That's one of the things that's happened. I feel like it's been dangerous. Well, it is, and we've discussed this some before, but I think it's not. I think it's it's going to continue to be a conversation um, that people need to be having because. So if we were going to be real and honest, like even on this show that me and you record, yeah. Like, we have to have conversations off the air about topics where we don't actually even say anything. Like, you didn't actually just say anything there to take a position that we are yeah. pro-socialism. But we know that people are right, so us, yeah. sensitive mm-hmm. and sound so bite. soundbitey, yes, yeah. that, that, and they don't want to hear the context of yeah. what it is we're saying, that we have to guard against, like, being able to even mention a word – that might be counter to the ideologies of listeners. And, and and you go, okay, guys, just, and this is where we're going as our church, so I'm not afraid. I think I'm becoming less and less fearful to say, guys, you know, listen, we can talk about these things. It's actually the scriptural proverbial definition of wisdom mm-hmm. is that I can hear. And you don't have to agree. In fact, you won't just because you, I think that's part of the problem. We only listen to things we agree with. And so if we listen to something, we have such little process of we're so easily convinced. I think we know that about ourselves. Yeah. I'm so easily swayed by information now that I have to keep information out or it will sway me. I don't have the tools and the fortitude inside to to not just buy hook, line and sinker. And so because of that, though, I never learn 
to 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 listen to an oppose, opposing viewpoint so that I can better even articulate my own. Because the deal is, I, I certainly believe, and, and you made that point, and this is something that we've talked about at our staff table. And I told them, guys, I'm, I'm going to be, and we're going to be loyal to the gospel first. Yeah. Above all other things. Like, I I don't have a problem saying that. I'm, I'm loyal to the gospel yeah. first. And I don't mean... When I say gospel, I know everyone's got their own viewpoint of what that means. I don't mean what you can write on a piece of paper that gives me the five steps to salvation. I don't I don't mean that. That's not really that that is a part of the gospel, those things you're going to write down. Those things are not holy. You're not going to completely and wholly encapsulate the entire message of what God through Jesus Christ wanted to do to from the beginning of time to make this plan where he would allow us through our choices to take things off course. And he is in the process of making them right again and making all things right again mm-hmm. throughout these thousands of years through, through the plan and through his son to redeem the things that we had lost. Then he was going to set these things right. It won't even require any of our effort because we're really just observers on this. But we are invited into that story to have roles in it as ones who participate in what he is doing. So when I say gospel, like I don't just mean, you know, yeah, okay, if you say these things, say these things, come kneel here, this will happen. Like we've made that so – yes, it's actually way simpler than that and way more profound and, and attractive than that. There is this grand thing that God is doing that he is inviting me into, that he paid the price for my entry into, that I can experience a life much greater than the life I can find on my own that, that is literally going to invade every other part of my life as I, as I continually submit to it and surrender to it. That's the gospel. Now, I'm loyal right. to that. I'm loyal to that. Now, I believe I live in the best country that has ever existed in in, in 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 our ages. I really do. I believe we live in, in a phenomenal place where I think the Constitution, and I'm a history teacher and a government teacher, I think that it's the best idea that men who were asking for God's help have ever come up with so far. Mm-hmm. I really do. I think the balance of powers, I think the republicanism with the democracy, the mixture of it so that we are electing uh, officials who are making decisions when it's not directly coming from the people so that it avoids the mob rule and the revolutionaryism that was happening throughout the world at the time. They knew that there was this balance that the people need to be able to speak, but they can't necessarily speak directly. And it's like there's, there's so much there, the judicial system being able to guard the power of the executive, the executive not being able to stay in office you know, indefinitely, though that wasn't always a law. It was so important to them that Washington made it a tradition that everyone followed to FDR until eventually became part, you know, of an amendment to the Constitution. Like, there, there's so much there that I'm like, I, I, I not only want to understand more of that I, I study and want to know more that I'm grateful for, but, you know, I think that this is helpful and healthy for Christians. And if the statement I'm going to make causes you offense. Proverbs would say it's a foolish reaction mm. if you can't even wow, hear this it. Is, man, this is I can't help it. It just you is. Say whatever you want now. Well, I'm just saying what I'm going to say is I am loyal to the gospel first above America or the Constitution. Yeah. Like, and I can be loyal to both. I don't have to pick or choose. 
But I do have to pick or choose the priority. I seek first the kingdom of God. Jesus Christ actually was encur- he was encouraging people to pay their taxes to Rome. Like he, God's not anti-government. Paul writes about doing this right. in Romans 13. Hey, you support this and all these things. Even these were evil governments. And he's like, there's a, there's a place for this that God works through for protection and other things. And yes, sometimes it gets off track. But you are loyal to these things yeah. above the other. And I think that that, and I'm sorry to go on my soapbox here. I do think that that, that rhetoric be getting, getting mixed, the sacred things that we are supposed to yeah. live in becoming mixed with really nationalistic rhetoric to the point that I'm just telling you, a lot of Americans don't know the difference anymore. Mm-hmm. And, it, and we, we as, who, who are trying to make disciples together among our relationships yeah. with our children, with others, it's okay to say, hey, listen, we live in the greatest country, I believe, that, that has ever existed in terms of, an, of a nation state. But here's the deal. It's still not the end of what Jesus is going to bring and what he's going to perfect in this world. And that's okay to say well, that. Well, and the, the idea that it can get better and that you we're to be locked into something without like, oh, wow, now that I have all the facts, now that I know. Like we're in Black History Month and I've been studying about Martin Luther King a little bit. It's like – some of the interesting things, you know, like I find that white people uh, will pick and choose yeah. quotes of his, you know, that'll make, you know what I'm saying? They'll buoy their own argument, bolster their own arguments yeah. with quotes of his. Uh, and I read this one this week and I was, I was kind of fascinated by it, speaking to the idea of uh, what is the gospel? You know, when Jesus prophesied. Uh, he said this, he spoke from a prophecy in Isaiah. He basically quoted it. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's appointed me to bring the good news, to set free the captives, to proclaim the uh, acceptable year of the Lord. Like he said all these things that this is why that that's the gospel to me. So this idea, I'm going to get involved and I'm going to upset the apple cart for people who, uh, are not me. This doesn't affect me, but I'm going to make sure these people, because it's that whole thing of like, if one of us is chained, none of us are free. Mandela said that the mm-hmm. idea that like, let's get involved. And yet I see a lot of like moderate people. Like I consider myself a pretty moderate person, but I read this quote from Martin Luther King and it was fascinating to me because I think the idea of, we almost demonize people who are on one side or the other. Like here we go with the social justice warriors. They want to get involved. And it's like, well, maybe that's, what we're called to do sometimes, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, let me just get him, don't jump in headlong in every issue. But anyway, this is a quote from Arthur King. This is from Birmingham jail. It's part of the, one of the famous letters from Birmingham jail. It says, first, I must confess that over the last few years, I've been gravely disappointed with the white moderate. I've almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's greatest stumbling block in the stride towards freedom is not the white citizens counselor or the Ku Klux Klaner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice, who prefers negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice, who constantly says, I agree with the goal that you seek, but I can't agree with your methods of direct action, who paternalistically feels he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, who lives by the myth of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait until a, quote, more convenient season. It's like, man, that hit me between the eyes. It's like, we... We gotta, we gotta open our mind. There's a, there's another, there's, there's fights going on that I feel like 
the church needs to I feel like the church is having a moment racially anyway. Yeah. But I think this is an interesting time that you can you can kind of take have moments sometimes where you take stock of your internal beliefs and your internal biases. And I think the church is having that moment and what comes out of this will be important. Uh I couldn't I couldn't agree more. And again, I told you before, you know, my wife and I are really trying to grow here. Um because I don't he's 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 dead on right we are a this this was this goes back to how many times in my life i have on paper agreed i don't want this to happen i am against racism i'm for equality mm-hmm. and and i think that again all we want to hear is that um either that's what i believe or i'm out with a picket sign you know right. when i'm marching like and, and there's a time I think you know again scripture would say there's a time for all kinds of things, but I do think that the truth is as long as I don't empathize, if as long as I lack empathy because I don't actually put a name with a face yeah to what's happening with people um and and, and I think that because racism in, in particular as our example here because racism is generally not that overt in society in terms of its expression now. People do it, and then they get land blasted on social media or whatever. you know. Right. But we found a way that racism kind of trickled into people's hearts instead, and they became almost smart enough to know what to say and not say yeah. in, in, in the general population. But behind closed doors or with family, then I can say this joke or I can think this way. Like I found out enough, and then there, th- those are the ones. And I'm, by us, I mean I don't, I don't mean I don't mean just some other group of people. This is why I'm challenging myself. When I'm in that mindset, I'm also the one most likely to complain about political correctness. Yeah, I am living political correctness when I'm not stating out loud the way I actually feel. So yeah, I, or like what he says is like where you go. Well, it's terrible that that's going on, man. Somebody just got shot in the back. <sighs> Good luck. It's like. I don't know about that anymore. Right, make sure you get the right name for your for your movement, though it doesn't offend everybody. And make sure, <laughs> yeah. and, and and you go, yeah, you go, and that's exactly where it hit me was if somebody shot my kid. That's the example I used to the church the other mm-hmm. day. You know, some if my kid got shot, guys, imagine what we would be. And I've, I've used this example before. If my grandfather Thomas Driver, who's eighty nine years old, if my family history was that he was hung from a tree and lynched mm-hmm. somewhere back in the 50s, maybe even 60s, and that the perpetrators, there was really no justice for that. I'm talking in our lifetime, yeah. our parents' lifetime especially. But if if it just kind of was, well, it was it was just what happened back then, sorry, you know, and that now I'm expected to just be like, so cool, I'm glad that this doesn't happen anymore, you know, and that we, like, I I think that, I'm not – this is to our previous point. I need to at least try to – that's what the definition of empathy. I need to at least try to figure out what someone else might be feeling yeah. here that is outside of me. And and really that is the incarnation. That is the whole like premise of the gospel itself is that Jesus, who could, who had the divine power if he wanted to, to make himself just magically know everything you're you're knowing and everything you're feeling, and yet 
still felt it necessary to express love the best and to redeem us, the best method was to become like us and so to actually experience and feel what we experience and feel in all of its fullness so that forever he would know us and we could know him. Like he, he did not just take information as enough. He chose empathy as his as the divine methodology by which he was going to redeem all things and i mean i would say this just on the topic of racism like the gospel doesn't allow for moderation there it just doesn't yeah paul was like extremely clear about it that there is no jew there is no greek there is no male there is no female yeah and we this is who we are I know that there are scriptural things that are confusing. I understand that. I understand Paul didn't call for the abolishment of slavery. Now, he did write to one slave owner and said, I am asking you as a personal favor because of who we are in Christ for you to set this man free. That's the book of Philemon. So, but there really is no like, we don't get room to be moderates there. Like if we follow Christ and, you know, anyway. It's interesting. We were talking about uh, when we were kids, like what we've, what we've learned sociologically and psychologically in the past 30 years uh, and how we deal with children and how we deal with things like bullying became this big buzzword. And I know you, you know, we know, we both know school speakers who go in and they talk about, and bullying is a huge issue you have to hit. And now you have cyber bullying where it's just like, you can say the meanest stuff and hide behind a keyboard and kids are killing themselves. It's brutal. It's awful. And the thing that I remember thinking growing up and I always heard, and, and we talked about this one day was, well, a kid that bullies you feels bad about himself, and so he's projecting right. it. And we almost took comfort in that. Like, well, this kid hates his life, yeah, and he has no self-confidence, so he has to lord it over other kids. And what we're learning the past 30 years of psychology is there are some people who just lack empathy, and they're broken in that way. And they have enormous amounts of self-confidence. They have too much self-esteem. Some of them, some people bully because they literally think they're better and they're entitled to do this. And that's a hard pill to swallow because, like like I said, we were graced to be like, well, look, they'll get theirs. And sometimes it's like in this lifetime, you see bullies thrive. It's funny you would say that because when we wrote – Reggie and I wrote a book called Just Keep Breathing. And mm-hmm. It was letters from kids and it dealt with I knew you turned this into a book plug. <laughs> Amazon.com. Um, <laughs> but – the organization that Reggie works with is called the Youth Alliance, and he does all his public school events. Yeah, and so when we had finished the manuscript, and we were kind of like going through some of the statistical and research-based elements of it to make sure it was right, and Reggie's good friend uh, told me over the phone, he goes, "Look, the one thing that we have to stop people from thinking is what you just said, Johnny." He said, people have always assumed, and it's been written in books left and right, and the research shows otherwise, that, that people are not bullying because they feel bad about themselves. Yeah. Above and beyond, the main cause for bullying is those kids, they have a lack of empathy. That's it. They, they don't feel what they should be feeling for others. They could go on to be heads of corporations and all kinds of things in childhood yeah. that, when they haven't developed empathy. Some people are more, they are more naturally empathetic. Others, you know, I think for all of us, it has to be developed to some extent. Right. But he's like, it doesn't necessarily mean what they're going to be in life. But th- it's not a lack of self-esteem. Right. It's not. It's not that. Well, and yeah, that's the thing. We were kind of coddled. We were like the first generation of kids that were people. Parents were scared to death, or they 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 did well enough. The boomers did well enough so that we 
wouldn't have to go through some of the stuff they had to go through. Yeah. And I've heard comedians say that too. Hey, you did this so we would never have to work hard like you did. And thanks mom and dad. You, you turned us into jerks basically. <laughs> you know, you set us in front of the TV. You didn't even have a TV in your house probably unless you were wealthy. And then you sat us in front of it. That's now our babysitter. You, you know, you worked hard so we wouldn't have to work hard. Did you teach us work ethic? Did you whatever? So I think some of that's coming out of the, the and the idea too of psychology in the seventies and eighties was you can be, if you see it, you can be it. You got to tell these kids that they matter. And above all, they got to know because they were so scared of kids being growing up without this sense of uh, identity and purpose. And now you do, you have a generation of people like us. Now we're raising kids, you know, our generation's raising kids. And it's like, we're trying to reassess that thing of like, should I have told them that they were entitled to doing, you can be in, remember that we were raised with it. You can be anything you want to be. Yeah. And that's probably not the best thing to tell a kid. No, it's not healthy. No. Again, it was only, only, only at age 30 began believing I might not still be able to be the president someday. Yeah. You know, that was in me so deep. I mean, not really, but you know what I'm saying? Like, that I'm was, not saying that you're irresponsible if you tell your kid to chase their dream, but to say to a kid, you can be anything you want to be is no, you can be what you're good at. God gave you a gift. Go right. find it. And if you're lucky, you'll get to do it. And sometimes you'll have to do some things that are really hard along the way. Right. That's the right message. But we were raised with like, pull, reach up and reach for, pull down a star and put it in your pocket. Yeah. It's like, no. Yeah. So that, we're disappointed. Remember that old, you know, you know, if you shoot for the moon, if you miss, at least you'll, <laughs> at be, least among you'll let, be among the stars. Is, so we've raised a generation of people who are my age who are disappointed because they didn't become right. president They actually or burned whatever. up in the atmospheres. They, yeah. they didn't make it to the – or. They were raised to believe that I'm entitled to this, so they bully their way. Yeah. So it's like we're broke just by that one piece of advice. And it was a, it was a count. Most things I believe that happen are um, their reaction. It was an unintended consequence. Right. It was a reaction to, let's be honest, coming out of World War II and, and you know, the the that generation – coming home from war there was no such thing as ptsd they weren't mm. dealing now i do think that there was such a vast community of men especially who had been to war that there was sort of like a they didn't have to they, they didn't feel as isolated because half the guys on the street right. had the same experiences yeah. you know so there was some sense of community that was bigger so they i think they dealt with it a little more a little more healthily probably than than, than we let our soldiers do today when they, you know, it's like a, it literally is a, a an experience that they don't. Only other soldiers that they know have yeah. had those experiences, and you just got to feel for them. But that being said, you know how tough they were on kids, and they saw some of that. Um, I struggle as a parent today to know how to sprinkle work ethic in to what I'm doing um, because you know I, I have a girl, so I, you know I, I am not a girl, and so. Uh, when I was a kid, my dad was always working. We had yeah. this commercial lawn care business. We were working outside on lawnmowers since I was a little kid. I'm changing oil, greasing fittings, sharpening blades, dirty, covered in grease and mess and grass. And then you start mowing grass and you it's a hard day. I don't have that paradigm. Like yeah. I'm a pastor and a writer, you know, and my wife is a, a professional who works at home. Like I don't have something to go, all right, kid, throw on your work clothes. 
Like I don't, I don't have that. Like volleyball is the closest thing to that we have in terms of learning about a team depending on you, right, and discipline, and, and but that yeah. has its, but that has its, its negative sides too. Because then yeah. it's competitive. It's you know we're putting too much, too much energy and effort into. Yeah, you're that literally game. keeping score. Yeah, that point of and, success and, and, and failure, and, and we do tell her like, "Hey, listen, you're not going to win every game, and, yeah. and other people are going to get put in the game, and maybe you're just not working hard enough." <laughs> like we're having to have those, and it hurts me to say it, but it has to be said at a certain age. Like, look, you're not entitled to this, so if you don't want to put the work in, and 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 then I realize my my wife is a, is a brilliant mind, and she tells says to me all the time, "Parents, maybe this will help you. We have to raise the kid we have, not the kids we were." Yeah. Like it's so hard for me who was a people pleasing, overachieving, not for healthy reasons, constantly I mean couldn't tolerate a B. Yeah. I needed to I needed to be the best so that people would be proud of me and, and know that, you know, that was all in there. I've I've tried to keep that for my kid. I don't want her doing that. But then when she brings home a C and just really doesn't care about that about that paper, I don't know what to do with that. Because yeah. inside of me I'm still I'm that fourth grader going, Oh my gosh. I'd be in tears. Yeah. This know. is going on my permanent record. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, so how to like give her a healthy dose of, mm-hmm. hey, you know, we should probably, and she does, and, and she does get upset about it, but she just doesn't approach it the same way. Now, I yeah. could go into Enneagram here. I'm not going to. Oh, my but, God. But I realize the way that I'm made and how I approach these things is not the way she approaches them. Yeah. And so, and my wife had similar things in her life, but she approached them from different motivations even than I do. But the result was the same, that we both had to try to be the best. You know, and, and that's not necessarily yeah. what happens in every kid. So. I think back to that idea of entitlement and empathy, even in parenting, like I, I can't, I can't just take l- like an old school overhead projector, this, this clear thing and put it over the top of other people because it was my way that it happened here. It must be this way for everybody. Yeah. You know, I have to realize that, that some of them are dealing with a different paradigm or different, you know, um, set of circumstances than my own. Well, and the whole world's different, Yeah, you know? The whole world's different that Sadie's growing up in now. Uh, I mean, my niece uh, is it's so sweet, and she's 11 now. But she they got her a Instagram account, and they monitor it. But she'll want to take photos with me. I think she thinks that it'll get her more likes. So when I'm around, she'll be like, let's do this. She'll want to do a video all the time. And I'm just like, well, there's a... There's a no. That's that's what social media is for to be social and let people know what you're doing. But I can see it kind of trending towards this idea of like I got to create this persona so people think that I'm a mover and a shaker, and they'll give me this these hearts that that make me feel joy. It's like I don't want her to grow up with that, but I don't know how to stop it because right. I have some degree of it, yeah. and I've only been on social media for ten years. She's literally not. She does not know a world without the internet. And without being graded by other kids on how, you know, it's a fame thing. How famous are you? You're somewhere on that ladder. Uh, yeah. And, you know. And you're supposed to be somewhere on that ladder. Yeah. Like, so no, that's, Nobody's supposed to be. If you're behind the scenes, that's worse than being low. It's weird. And, um, we, yeah, it's like, why would, why would anybody want to grow up and go be, uh, be a cameraman at this point? You know what I'm saying? Like, right. why, why would a kid ever aspire to that? But what a great – or now I see people who say, well, I want to direct. I want to make – I want to tell my stories and stuff like that. But nobody wants a regular job anymore because it's like we see people getting famous in an instant. 
and they get to live this fantasy life. And so we think, well, that's out there. Why would I ever tell my kid to not chase that? It's like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, again, it's it, miserable. If it, you look at some of these people's lives, it is so funny how you literally now can make a living off of being famous for nothing. Like yeah. fame is unto itself. You got to watch that fire fest. Did you? I tell you to watch uh, that. Yes, you did. Tell me. You gotta watch that. But everything is so true. That like, influencer thing. All you got to do is get a video. You can monetize. Yeah. You can monetize popularity via the internet, and that's what the I mean, half the businesses are doing. And then it exponentially like builds on itself, like compound interest. Yes. You don't know why. You just look up, and one day somebody has a million followers, and you're like, "Well, who is he? Well, they they created this account, and they have a really cute dog. And but what do they do? Well, now they get $100,000 a tweet promoted, (laughs) whatever. All they got to do is say, I'll use Purina dog food, and they get a whatever. Well, how did they do it? Well, they got this dog with an overbite, and people loved it. Right. Like, can you imagine explaining that to our grandparents? grandparents. (laughs) I can't even. I'm just trying to get my grandfather to turn on his computer. And and yes. He's like, you had a dog with an overbite, and you didn't put it down? (laughs) What in the world? That's cruel. It is, and then again, I'm not. As, we're not like old guys shaking our fists at the heavens. Oh, like I think, I think that it just everything produces something else. Yeah. No, it's just it's fascinating to think it. about the world that Sadie's inhabiting yes. and that my my niece is inhabiting, and that I'm not equipped to know how to prepare her for it because right. it's changing faster than I can keep up with, yeah. and I'm I'm not able. I'm already over it. Like I'm already like you know what? And that's why we got her a phone. We had to. Like yeah. she needed it. To communicate. Yeah, I was at my buddy Nate's house, and he has a VR uh, system yeah. in his little man cave upstairs at his house. Lovely home. And uh, he's got this thing where you, you're you in a, t- a city. You're looking around down the street, and the whole po- – it's called uh, somebody's Jack's Plank Experience. I'm like, what is that? He goes, well, you, it starts off here. You're just standing, and you're looking. You can look down the street corner. you got this VR headset on. And then he goes, now back up. So I walk back two paces. I'm in an elevator. And you just, you look up, you can see the button, and you push this little thing with your little handheld thing. That's, wow. that's one of your hands. And you do it, and this music plays. And then you get out, and you're at the top of this building. You can look out, and there's a plank. <laughs> and you walk out on the plank. Do you fall? You can fall. Did you jump? Oh, yeah, I jumped. I just wanted to experience, but I'm telling you, it was. It's nerve wracking. You get you can get sick on those things. You you can't. Oh no, well, I get sick if it's a motion thing. This was just like a. It feels so real, and you take your first step out on the plank, and it creaks. The board creaks. Wow, it's like so crazy. So I was just thinking, and then Nate goes, "This is just the first generate. Really, this is like the first generation of this." He goes, "He has a daughter, Harper, and he said when she's uh, she's in her teenage years." There will be entire rooms in people's houses. This will be a room in your house. You'll go into it. will be the VR room because I have every confidence because they'll get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper. Like his was like $300. And it had, I mean, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. It cost 300 bucks. I mean, there'll be, there'll be a family that will spend a thousand bucks, 2000 bucks to have a VR room. It'll be like the hollow deck on Star Trek. Yeah. Gonna, I want to go play Cowboys and Indians. And you go in and you're in the scene. Yeah. You just put on your headset and now you're running and jumping and not getting any real exercise. <laughs> But in that in that VR room, I will have six pack abs and a California tattoo, <laughs> and a oh, choir we behind call, me. We call that a full circle. That's a callback for those of you. Johnny is a consummate professional. Thank you. 
he brought it full circle. Mm. It has been a good episode. We we dove deep today. We solved all the problems. I think so. I think so. Uh, I do. I do encourage everybody. You know, hey, we're just talking. So it's okay to listen. It's all mm. right. And you got. You got. Maybe such you a should Delilah talk voice. To Delilah, <laughs> um, what's in your heart tonight? <laughs> <laughs> hey, as always, you know, we'd love for you to share. Uh, Please any, share and yeah. review and rate and subscribe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it matters. Go and follow Johnny on all of his his Please platforms. Do. If you haven't listened, by the way, to Johnny's uh, comedy special from Franklin Theater, it really is. It's on Amazon. Still. You should go to Amazon. If you're an Amazon and, Prime yeah. member. Free, or if you're not a Prime member, you can get it for two bucks, I think. Like there that. you go. Yeah, you should go and check it out. And uh, we got always exciting things coming up, and Johnny's heading out on a road trip with Tim Hawkins tomorrow, yeah. and uh, he'll be going for the weekend. I, I did not tell you where I'm going Saturday. You're going to, I already knew. Where? I don't know. You don't know. You're going to the Vols game? Johnny, I'm going to Knoxville, and I have great <sighs> seats for a sold out against Florida. My friend Matt, he had someone at work who I guess they had tickets, and he's a Florida guy. That's so months ago, he was like, hey, you won't believe it. We got tickets and a parking pass. I was like, I, I won't believe it. So, and it happened to not be a volleyball weekend. So, uh, I'm Florida ranked? They're not ranked. No, but it'll be a tough game. The Kentucky one's coming. That's the reckoning. Oh, there's two Kentuckys coming. That's we, what I'm we, saying. Yeah. Like, we're getting built Kentucky's up. Kentucky's top five now. Kentucky's licking their chops because they're like, we always have your number. I think it's and great. you're going to be number one when we play you. It's going to be. We need to lose to Kentucky once. You think? Well, we, we beat them twice last year in regular season and then lost at the last right, minute in the SEC tournament. tournament. We need to lose to them once in the season. That's gonna. I don't want to get knocked out of number one. Well, here's the deal. They're number five now. And they're only going to rise. So let's just say they're number three or whatever. We're number one. You know what? Look. All I care about is not number one. I care about I care about the one, one the seed. one seed. That's what matters. That will preach. Okay, and I want to win that's the, in Proverbs. And I want to win the SEC tournament. We haven't won since nineteen seventy nine. Okay, that was not the computer. Like Ernie, that was not Ernie and Bernie. Yeah, I don't know if they win it. I don't remember. I don't think so. Anywho, uh, I'll be watching the balls. They are number one, and they'll be playing on Saturday. So we know we got Hey, you guys enjoy uh, the rest of your week, and we'll see you next time on... I'm Billy Yancey, entrepreneur, fitness cowboy, father, retired Navy cornerback, and now podcast host. Listen to my new show, Billy and the Goat, on Life Audio. Happy listening.